What a, what a great start to the year. I'm so excited about this series on faith again. So many people set New Year's resolutions, and uh, I tried that a few years ago, and it just didn't work. Good intentions, good to revisit, but, but I, I've found way better than that is, is to actually believe God for things, to see shifts, to see things. And, and the scriptures are just full of exactly that, where people just simply believed God and things changed. And so we've been looking at all kinds of just key leaders. And today we're going to look at Moses and next week Esther, just to, to really drill in how, how can you apply the things of faith to see real change in real lives. So I'm, I'm super excited about this also because I'm preaching about freedom this morning. It, it's one of our core cultures up there. Loved, included, free and equipped. Free, being free is a key part of this church. It's a key part of the gospel. That, that we're called to freedom, not called to duty or bondage. We're called to be free. Jesus has set us free. And, and this book is a book of liberation, setting free captives. And I don't know if you've ever been stuck in life. I mean, just stuck in a situation, perhaps against your will, perhaps unjustly. Maybe you're here this morning stuck against your will. <laughs> Kids, somebody... Somebody dragged you to church. Maybe you're stuck in, you know, you get stuck in our careers. We get stuck in circumstances. We get stuck in places where we don't want to be or stuck with people we don't want to be. You know, if we're honest sometimes. I'm not talking about the front row here. But really, what does it mean to be stuck? If we're called to be free, then the opposite is imprisonment, isn't it? It's bondage. It's, it's somehow being kind of contained somewhere. We've got to work out what that is first before we can actually talk about freedom, right? Now, Rose just read a book uh, by Kylie Moore Gilbert. If you know her story, she's a Bathurst girl who was in an Iranian prison for 804 days. An astonishing story. Astonishing. Um, and again, uh, Professor Sean Turnell in Myanmar prison, 650 days. Now, these prisons are not Bathurst or Lithgow jail. They're terrible places, terrible places of all kinds of torment and conditions that are almost unthinkable uh, and often in solitary confinement. Now, these kind of things are the extreme version of being stuck. And we hope and pray that none of us kind of end up that kind of stuck. But there are degrees of being contained and stuck in life, aren't there, that are not as extreme as that. I've found the Bible has lots to say about freedom, simply because God is a God of freedom and liberty. And so right through, you see these themes. But, but probably the greatest episode is the Exodus. The, the greatest freedom story that you'll read, especially in the Old Testament, is, is the Exodus, what we call the Exodus. It's the second book of the Bible, and it's way back. It's, it's a story of Moses. And you go back 1400 BC, okay? That's kind of three and a half thousand years ago. We're talking a long, long, long time. And let me just give you a bit of the history, and then we'll launch into how this actually works. God's people, Abram and, and his children, his descendants formed 12 tribes. Through a series of droughts, they actually ended up in Egypt under Joseph. You might know the end of the story, the end of Genesis. And they were there, and it was good for a while. The leader of ruler, the, the ruler of Israel, <laughs> the ruler of Egypt, 
Bear with me, first day on the job for the year. The ruler of Egypt, Pharaoh, looked after them, gave them the best of the land, favourable, good, got them out of the drought. The problem is they were so successful, they became so numerous that Pharaoh, a new Pharaoh, said, hmm, hang on, we've got a problem here. In Exodus 1.8, it says, there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out and they join our enemies and fight against us and breaks out from the land, therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. And they built for them, for Pharaoh, storehouses, Pithom and Ramses. They became slaves. They were so numerous, so successful. Uh, they even tried to kill all the babies, but they had a little scheme going and there were so many things going against them, but they became entrapped. And God said, there's a problem right here. In Exodus 3.7, it says, God says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. What a beautiful verse. This happens but God says, I've seen it, I hear it, I know it. Can you see the journey we're on? People are stuck, but God hears. People are stuck in context, but, but God sees, he hears, and he knows. And does something about it. And very often, God uses a person. 90% of the time, 99% probably. God sends a person. Now, if I was God, I would send angels and all kinds of things to go and deliver, but God uses people. He likes using people. And so he raises up Moses. Moses is born. You might remember his birth story. He's kind of rescued in a situation. He's put in a, a little basket and sent down the river to save him because he's going to be killed. He's picked up by Pharaoh's household. He's raised as an Egyptian. He learns all the tricks of the courts. He, he understands it, but he's a Jew at heart. And he knows he has a call to set people free. One day Moses says, I think it's time. <laughs> I think it's time. And, and he actually intervenes a little bit of a, a fight and discussion and kills somebody and has to, has to run away to escape his own life. Do you know how many years he had to flee for? Forty. I'm only just 40 myself. But imagine, don't laugh. 40 years of just, oops, in the wilderness, wandering in the desert, feeding the sheep. Have you ever been there? You've got a call and a passion on your life, but I'm stuck for 40, 40 years. My goodness. But then he looks over and this bush is alive with fire. He goes, this is interesting. God says, stand back. Stand back. Take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. And God commissions Moses to let his people go. Filled with doubt, Moses drags his brother into the situation. And eventually, they become the people, the unlikely heroes to set God's people free. I'm talking two and a half million people. 
It's not an insignificant number of people. And we see this, that God sends a person in Exodus 3. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. He says, it will happen. You will see this sign. He says, I've, I've sent you, Moses. Don't you doubt. It's your call. And so you see this, this journey from being stuck to, to God hearing and seeing and knowing. And then there's a savior. There's a rescuer. Can you see the pattern here? In, in this case, it's Moses, just a normal person, filled with doubt, filled with insecurity. He says, I, I can't speak properly. You know, I can't articulate my words. But he does it. And he stages a rescue with a little bit of help from God. I mean, you might know the story of the rescue. There's this kind of battle, this argy-bargy with Pharaoh. He goes, send my people out. Pharaoh goes, yeah, okay. And then he just continually changes his mind. So Moses goes, all right, there's going to be frogs. <laughs> there's going to be frogs. You, you'll understand. And then there's this plague of frogs. And Pharaoh goes, oh, no, send the frogs away. We'll do it. We'll send you. We'll set you free. We'll do it. We'll do it this time. Changes his mind. Oh, well, this time, hmm, locusts. Let's destroy every crop with locusts. You, you probably know the, the 10 plagues of Egypt. The rivers turn to blood, black swarms of locusts. There's, this, this is the awful one where they all get itchy sores all over them. But eventually, eventually there's this incredible thing called Passover where, where God protects all his people and then kills the firstborn of all the other people in the land. Finally, Pharaoh says, get out, go, take your people and run. People plunder all the Egyptians. It's a great story. I'm summarizing a whole chunk of Exodus. They take, they escape by night and, and they get into the wilderness and they're free. Yes. But what's that sound of hooves behind me? What's that sound of chariots I'm hearing? Pharaoh is this fickle guy and he's changed his mind again. And they're chasing the people down with chariots, their best horsemen, and they're chasing. And the problem is there's a, there's a massive sea in front of them. It's called the Red Sea. And the people are going, uh, Moses, we have a problem. Getting closer and closer and closer and closer. Pharaoh's army, compared to just little Egyptians, uh, Israelites walking along. They get to the end, and basically, God says to Moses, Exodus 14, Moses says to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see, Today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. What a verse. Stand by and see the salvation which God will work for you today. And then he says to Moses, just, just strike. Get your staff out and strike it. And you might know this story. But the seas part. And, and the Israelites, two and a half million people, right, walked through the sea on dry land 
get everybody across the other side. And unfortunately, it's not so great for the Egyptian army. Kind of closes over and that's it, done, free. It's a rescue. It's the most amazing rescue. You'll see references to this throughout the Scriptures. The Red Sea crossing, the rescue. God has rescued His people. I've got to keep going because I've got so much here. But, but not only that does God rescue His people, He guides them and teaches them. The Ten Commandments are the most amazing ethical statements you will ever read. He, he teaches them how to live, you know, like, like honour your parents. Don't kill people. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't covet people. Love the Lord. You know these Ten Commandments. And they are the incredible, most powerful statements of how to live in community well and how to worship Jesus. Not only does he teach them, but he guides them for 40 years, directs them. He teaches them dependence, how to, how to lean on him for provision of food and water. So you see this pattern. The Savior is sent to rescue, but not just deliver out of, but, but deliver into something special. And they are delivered into, after another 40 years, into the promised land. The actual end of the story. Freedom. Total freedom. God grants them this land. We see that in the end of Joshua. The Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give his fathers. And they took possession and settled there. So we have freedom. God's people are free. But you might know the rest of the story. Because the problem with freedom is freedom itself, if it's unbounded. And so we see a cycle where it kind of goes back to the beginning. And the history of the Old Testament is they get free, and they get stuck again. And they cry out to God again, and God sends a Saviour and rescues them and teaches them, and they're free, and then they get comfortable and complacent, and then they go back again. That's the Old Testament. Finally, God says, enough. Clearly, it's not working. Clearly, you need a better Savior. Clearly, there's got to be more than the Old Testament. Clearly, you need help, people. And, and, and the Old Testament draws out. Have you ever read through the Kings? Oh, my goodness. It's depressing. And every time I read it, they make the same mistake again. Oh, he did it last time I read this. Nothing's changed. You see, there's clearly the need for something more. And that something more is Jesus. The whole Old Testament aches for a final solution. That's Christ. And then you see, I won't dwell on it too much, but Jesus comes and rescues. He heals. He delivers. He saves. But um, what, like, what does that Old Testament mean for us, really? Like today's, in today's world, what does it mean to be free? Because most of our world thinks freedom is a freedom from autonomy, freedom from rules, to be autonomous, to be myself, to be my individual self. And so we overthrow authority, cancel history. We remove customs. Like anything that seemed to be oppressive or burdensome, let's get rid of them. We question our biological makeup. We remove oppressive figures from society. We do away with duty, abandon family. Anything that seemed to be getting in the way of personal freedom, well, let's just 
get rid of it so we can truly be free. But remember the problem with freedom? It's freedom itself. When we're totally free from things that bind, that freedom has a way of catching up with itself and overthrowing. It's the condition of our age and the malaise of our culture. I got lots to say on that, but that's not what I'm preaching about. I'm preaching about Jesus arriving 2,000 years ago. He wasn't preaching a freedom from his political oppressors. You know that? He wasn't preaching, let's get the Romans. Let's run away. He, he just, it just wasn't out there. He wasn't preaching about freedom from duty or responsibility. There was something deeper at the core of every human being that was worse than all of these, that made people stuck more than being stuck in solitary confinement. That there's a condition that plagues humanity that is at the core of our entrapment. And guess where the answer is? Not just the answer, but the problem. Let's look at the problem. Let's look at being stuck again. And I want to jump to the New Testament. I want to jump to Ephesians 2. This is an incredible passage which has the same pattern of release from being stuck. Ephesians 2, 1. This is Paul writing. He says, and you were dead. Now that's being stuck. You can't get any more stuck than being dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. Trespasses and sin, it's, they're not popular terms today, but actually they need to be. Trespasses simply means a lapse or a deviation. It means, it means I'm driving my car and I'm supposed to be going this way and the GPS is saying go that way. I say, you're wrong, GPS. This is a shortcut. That's, that's a deviation. When you know you should be going that way and you go this way. Or a lapse when you just forget what you're doing and you end up somewhere else. And a sin is to miss the mark or, or err or be mistaken. This is, this is where the stuckness comes from. G.K. Chesterton, a great English thinker, was asked by the, the London Times, says, what's, tell me, what's wrong with the world? Chesterton replies, I am. I am. It's me. I'm the problem. We are. All of us. Have you noticed there's something that plagues humanity? That if left unchecked, it goes and becomes, well, dictators, people throughout history who have caused great oppression, or at micro level, just annoyance or issues or problems. We have this sin condition which is symptomatic of simply ignoring God and thinking we can do it on our own. This is the stuck bit. And I tell you, our world probably doesn't want to know this, but, but unless we understand the real problem, we'll never look at the real solution. The real problem is in here. It's in me. <laughs> it's probably in you. I know it is from my Bible. Although you're very nice people. I know that deep inside my heart, I am prone to wander, prone to do things that are just dumb, prone to think thoughts that are just 
Where did that come from? But God knows us. He understands us because he made us. This is, this is so good. He doesn't just say, oh, you silly humans, because actually it's his responsibility. He's made us like this, and he's given us free will. And so he wants to guide our free will in the right ways. And so in our stuckness, God's, God hears. He hears. Look at this verse in Ephesians 2.4. Just but God, but God. Like we would be lost, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. He hears, he understands, but God, he knows, he understands humanity. Being rich in mercy because of his great love. He hears us with his love because he made us. And then what does he do? He sends. Ephesians 2.5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Look at that. Made alive together with Christ. When Jesus came, it wasn't just to free people politically or economically or whatever. It was actually to free us from the inside, from the thing, the condition of our heart that really counted. Ourselves, our own sin nature, he made us alive with Christ through his death and resurrection. He says, I, I can take that for you. I can take all that on a cross and destroy it and actually give you my life. It's the most incredible freedom that he gave us. This exchange. It's a good deal. I'll take your rubbish. You can have my life. That's what it is to be sent and then he rescues us. He doesn't just leave us. Ephesians 2, 6 and 7, he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. He didn't just rescue us out of our situation. He rescued us into a new context. It'd be like if I'm drowning in the beach and I'm delivered and just thrown on the shore, you know, flapping about. I've been rescued, haven't I? Well, kind of. But what if I was rescued into a new context? It's taken to hospital, resuscitated, revived, looked after, and then trained in how to swim in the beach and how not to go into a rip. You see, he's, he hasn't just kind of turned the flip of the badness. He's invested and given us his goodness. You see that? That's what it is to be fully alive, to be fully rescued. Not just dragged out of the bad situation, but taken into a brand new beautiful context called heaven. Seated us with him in heavenly places. Right now, you and I are with Christ, in some sense, with Jesus in heaven. Although we walk on this world. And he gives us wisdom and guidance. He doesn't just rescue us. Then he teaches us. See, this is why he's given us his word and his Holy Spirit. That's what I was talking about this morning. He's, he's given us. He says, for, for by grace you've been saved through faith. Through faith. It's not your undoing. We, we don't have enough guidance inside. But this book guides us. 
and the Holy Spirit guides us by faith. It's a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. It's a gift by faith. He's given it to us. And then it gives us true freedom. This is where I want to just park a little bit before we finish. Ephesians 2.10, he says, we are his workmanship. This, this word workmanship means poem, artwork, beauty. Like you and I are the poem of God. We're the creation of God. Pick your art. If you're a musician, you know, the song or the orchestral work of God. If you're an artist, you're David Young. He's back, isn't he? You know, it's a David Young artwork, the, the beautiful artwork. It's, it's, it's a writing or you are an artwork of God, a high calling. Not, not only that, God has created good works for you to walk into. That means call. God's given you a call to walk into, a purpose, a life purpose. He hasn't just kind of taken you through this cycle and then left you. He's given us our guidance. Our freedom comes from the call of God. Your freedom comes from the call of God. You could be stuck in a cave or a prison cell in the call of God and have total freedom. You see that? David's cave, Paul's prison cells. It's bad. But there's something way, way more exciting inside of them than living in the call of God. That gives me courage because I hope I never end up in an Iranian prison. But even if I did, it's not the end. Because my call and my freedom is not dependent on external circumstances. You might be facing, I don't know what you're facing, but you can have true freedom by walking in the call of God of your life. And you say, what's the call of God in my life? Well, 95% of it is just what's in front of you right now. You got kids? There's a call of God. Are you working somewhere? There's the call of God. Involved in the community somehow? Have you got neighbors somehow? Have <laughs> you got family somewhere? See, see, the call of God is not some go to Thailand. It's, it's not this sense of I need to. It's, it's right here. What, what has God got in front of you right now? That's 95% of it. And when we're living in that successfully, prosperously, we're fulfilling the mandate to live as his workmanship, doing good works in the call of God. That's so free. You can have true freedom in the sometimes dull nine to five, paying off a mortgage. Sometimes life is not that exciting. You can have true freedom dealing with the relentless energy of toddlers. You can. You can have true freedom facing a new school year. You can have true freedom in, in the doubts and insecurities of married life or family life. You can have true freedom living in a place that doesn't quite seem ideal. You can have true freedom even stuck in a prison cell because the call of God on your life is way beyond circumstance. It's internal. When your life is based on the call of God and the guidance and the freedom that he gives, you're pulled out of a place like Egypt and put into the promised land. And it is the greatest life.
I want to take a moment in wrapping up. Cole, can I just get you to we'll just finish with just some keys, we'll be fine. I want to bring a few things together. There's a lot of words there, a lot of ideas, a lot of thoughts. Let me just bring it to something crystal clear. Right now, where are you stuck? Let's close your eyes for a moment. Just think about your own world right now. Where do you feel like you're trapped? Where's the Egypt of your world? Where does it feel like things have just turned off? Just right now, invite the Holy Spirit into that place and discern. Discern. Ask for discernment. Is this, Lord, where you want me to be? It's a tough question. But the answer to that question from the Lord, and only He can answer you, will guide your decisions and your believing. If you're in a place where you feel like God doesn't want you to be, but you're stuck somewhere, then it's time to exercise faith and move on. Sometimes God puts us into contexts which seem like prisons, barriers, Egypts. God put these people in Egypt. It was His fault. For a purpose. Whatever you're facing right now, discern whether it's something to push against and break out of or something to live in, in the freedom of God in that context. Because then there's a peace that comes in. It could be just your own internal wrestlings, your own anxieties, and own pressures of who I am and what I'm supposed to be. Fundamentally, God has set us free. He set us free from sin and death. And no matter what situation you're in, you have new life in Christ. But if you find yourself in a context that, you know what? I feel like God is asking me to move and shift from. That's consistent with the Bible. Then start believing God. Start calling on His name. Lord, open the door. Break me out of this prison. Set me free. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's something that's just pushing in on you that's just a little bit alarming right now. Maybe it's a person that's just getting too close. It's too awkward. It's too push. Get a sense from God right now. Holy Spirit, come. Help people discern the place of their stuckness and help them then to, to have faith, to believe God for, for deliverance from that. Or give them faith to hold the course and to hold the line and find true freedom, even in confinement. But Lord, I'm praying, despite the externalities and on the inside, they'd know that they're free. And they'd celebrate their freedom in Christ. And they'd, they'd be filled with joy, no matter what, because, because you have delivered them ultimately from sin and death. Because you have set them free. And if you're, you're here this morning and you just don't feel like you're free, you feel like you haven't even met Christ, 
and, and you're wrestling. And, and when I was talking about being kind of stuck by sin, your own thoughts and desires, this morning you can be free from that. You don't have to live there. People are here to help. That's what we're here for. Come and chat afterwards. Find somebody, do something. Find Christ and be free. Let me pray for you. Jesus, praying for each person here. I'm praying that they find life in whatever context they find themselves in. I'm praying they find true freedom in whatever context they're in. And Lord, for those cases where you want, you want change, you want people to, to shift, to move out of, I'm praying you give them the courage to believe for freedom in that context. Give them key scriptures, key words. Give them people around them to help them, Lord. Help them to shift wisely. But I thank you. You're a God of liberation and a God of freedom. Amen.